Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. everyone. Um, my name is Sue Min Shim. I'm part of the communications and membership team here at NAVA and today it is my honour to be joined um, by, with Eme today for this podcast. So a little bit about Eme. Eme is an interdisciplinary Philippinex artist based in Warang, Sydney, Australia on the unceded Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Their practice explores reflections drawn from personal lived experiences and layers of oneself that is marginalized by society. Emma is a queer trans non-binary artist and works with a decolonial framework based on research and by Bayanya. Communal solidarity. Fantastic. Emma has just completed their Bachelor of Visual Arts Honours first class at Sydney College of the Arts from Sydney University and now works with activists and organizations to continue the anti-colonial resistance in support to fight all forms of oppression. Thank you so much for being here. I guess we can launch straight into some questions, right? How did you first become involved with your practice? And do you want to just briefly introduce maybe Usapan Salamesa and that part of your practice? Yeah. Getting involved in my practice. Well, I started getting seriously in art in, when I was 19, I'm 26 now. I went to design school and then I did photography. So I did like two exhibitions there. And then after that, I went to SCA, Sydney College of the Arts. And that's when I started to pretty much explore the layers of myself. And um, I mean, I was decolonizing before I knew the actual meaning of the word, before I came the word because I only came across it last on my honors year actually. Oh, interesting. Mm. So I guess yeah what I wanted to talk about today as well is about your own personal decolonization journey and then how that informs your art practice. It's interesting that you say you've always been decolonizing but you just never had the vocabulary yeah. for it. In what ways were you decolonizing before? in terms of your art practice, like before you learned the theory behind it? Pretty much I come across uh, oppression and discrimination. Whether, you know, whether I'm being seen as a woman, um, being dictated what to do, what, how, to, how to think and what to say and stuff. And, um, and I've always questioned, you know, why? Why is this happening? And also like, as a person of color, why do we get discriminated based on our appearance? Yeah, but I just didn't know. I guess I was uh, exploring the root of all that, ultimately leads to colonization and um, the colonization of our, my country and obviously the global. 
global the sphere. Yeah, yeah, the world. It's true. They colonized everywhere. It's true. <laughs> I guess maybe now is maybe a good chance to talk about Usapan. Yeah, specifically, um, you know, what does Usapan Salomasa mean, firstly, yeah. and just, yeah, a brief summary of the events that you've run. So Usapan Salomasa translates to talking at the table. And it's really uh, an homage to, you know, well, I love Solange, but obviously black, indigenous, um, and people of color. Well, um, you know, thinkers, artists, I draw from the strength from that. And I wanted to create a space for us, for, for um, all ages of people of color, to come together and talk about, you know, our culture, our history, our lived experiences, past and present, and you know, hopefully future, and and sort of highlight especially our elders, because they they hold embodied knowledge about our culture and about our history that is usually passed down, because our pre-colonial culture is oral as well, and that's why it's usapan. You're talking, and so I created these events. I wanted it to be as inclusive, obviously, as possible. It started off at Newtown Neighborhood Center. So it's just like a one night thing, four hours. Where, um, so it started off, I just wanted everyone to come and participate and like, bring their Filipino dishes, Filipinx dishes. So we can, all, um, we can all realize that there's so many nuances of our Filipinx identities. Because there's um, many indigenous roots. I'm from Tenehero, uh, Balanga, Bataan. So Bataan, I guess the closest thing people associate Bataan is the Bataan Death March um, that happened in World War II. So that's, that's my area. That's where my family are all rooted. So we have different ways of, you know, um, cooking one dish. Let's say sinigang. It's like a soury broth. And um, yeah, you can have it with shrimp. You can some people have it with broccoli. And then, so there's different ways um, each barangay take, uh, cooks it as well. So I wanted to bring that in and sort of talk about the origins of how it, it's different and how it's similar. And so from different regions, obviously in the diaspora, could be anywhere in the world kind of thing. So I wanted to bring that to get educated on food. Yeah, everything, our culture. And to connect with our elders and even um, you know even the young ones, there's kids that come through as well, baby Gavin, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and talk about um, pretty much what we go through in the diaspora and being made to leave the homeland and why and what, what traumas that cause and also intergenerational trauma. <laughs> the enforcement of Western values and ideologies and how that manifests, you know, now. I think, because I've been to two now, personally, and as much as it is a discussion and it's a space to hold these really important discussions, it's also a very healing space because it feels like a celebration because you also have performances and stuff. Could you tell us a little bit more about the performances and maybe how you program, like what exactly happens at these different Usapan Salamesis? Yeah. yeah. First one, 
I was so nervous. I mean, doing this scale of work and then involving your elders, it's pretty crazy. I mean, my mom and my aunties pretty much were like, because part of Filipino culture is like, we have to cook for the people that, you know, obviously we invite to your event, you have to feed the people. Uh, the way I program it, it's pretty, pretty chill. Like my my aunties are like, oh, we're gonna do a dance. I wanna do carinosa, and um, I was just like, yeah, of course. And um, I also, it's also important for me to put in, you know, um, the first one, Harry Bonifacio Bogan was uh, to speak about, um, you know, the anti-colonial resistance that's happening with AAA, Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance, in in partnership with First Nation elders and to give support in the daily struggles as well as actions and protests and all that. Yeah. Just for our members who might not be familiar, the Triple um, A, which is the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance, is um, a group of people from the diaspora who um, are working um, in solidarity and in support of the First Nations struggle in Australia. So I think we'll have some links for people to look at AAA and Harry Bonifacio, who is a very vocal leader of AAA, also has a music band called Dispossess, which also similarly looks at that. And yeah, Harry was one of the speakers at your second, the first, the first event. Just going back a little bit, you were saying that working with elders and community can be a bit tricky. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit more about what it means to work with elders in an art context and in the community context? Yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting because, um, oh, personally, my elders, maybe like it's a cultural thing as well. Arts isn't really a known sector for them. I remember my auntie was like, just come be a nurse. While I was like <laughs> in my second year of my bachelor. And I'm just like, I would if I wanted to. So introducing them to sort of like, you know, my art world was really, really special. Um, it was hard in a sense that because we're sharing with experiences, there is that culture of silence with Asian cultures as well, you know, to keep peace. Mm, to know. be invisible, yeah, which invisible. which comes from the model minority yeah, myth of exactly. being diaspora in a Western country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to break that culture of silence. And in order to heal, if you're not, you know, you gotta acknowledge it. If you're not even actually acknowledging it, you can't go forward and reflect on it. And I found that, yeah, framework of Lenny Mendoza struggle of doing just that, and it's. It's like dedicated, obviously, to Filipino-Americans. And that's the only framework that I've seen about Philippines mm. decolonization. I do think that there is a lot more discourse from and about the diaspora in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a number of reasons, um, I think, in terms of maybe... American communities just mobilizing more politically over there and Australia does have this culture of erasure like the white Australia policy didn't wasn't erased until the 70s 70s, yeah Um, but I do think that things are changing with 
you know, art mm. events like yours that are creating more discourse. I think something I love about your art events is that because you have the elders involved, it becomes intergenerational. Yeah. And I think it's so rare in art spaces in Australia to find, you know, older and younger people. It's mostly, let's be honest, like hip people yeah. in their twenties, you know, upper middle class, uh-huh. generally white, mm-hmm. who are in these spaces. That's why I never knew that I would be in this place, and um, this what I'm doing would be possible. So it's. I think that's a nice transition into my next question, which um, is that Verge this year was the first time that you held Usapan at like an institutional space, a gallery space, a sanctified art space, right? And I know that there were some different challenges to doing that. And um, yeah, if you could maybe just talk more. I mean, I could also (laughs) maybe help discuss in terms of, yeah, the different bureaucratic challenges that come with the art world that I think compromises community elements, right? The trouble, I guess, the rules and regulations that they have to, they adhere to. That's why we changed the name to fit. Yeah, so just for context, The whole point of Usapan Salamesa is this beautiful feast gathering, yeah. this element of eating together. But because these galleries are often bound by government laws and standards, you know, food had to be catered, had to be safe, yeah. had to be registered, licensing, yeah. all of these like colonial constructs, yeah, much. which is not the gallery's fault, but it's more, yeah, the structure. Yeah. So yeah, the food was compromised. Was there anything else that you think? Um, my mum definitely. <laughs> my mum and my aunties were like, you know, they kind of stormed it mm. anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it was more about that reclamation of the space. Yeah, and us literally taking space. And um, and also, I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that, you know, in art spaces, we dissect whatever is in front of us. Mm and we critique it. So I did. I told my, my mom and my aunties, I don't want y'all to dance. Mm. This is not about us dancing and shit. And that's why I got everyone with like messages. Anak mm. Bayan, um, coordinator, um, Jennifer Estalore, who's part of Gabriela, um, the Filipino, like, um, Filipina organization of the Philippines um, fighting for women's rights coming in more of like you know the political aspect social it's interesting that you say that because at the community center the dance that your aunties and elders dancing really did feel like it was a safe space but I guess galleries are very politicized spaces with a lot of power and hierarchy and historically being used as white cube spaces Mm -hmm. to make marginalized identities and bodies feel very unsafe. And I feel like had they decided to dance, it might have easily become spectacle. Yes, Mm. that's that's pretty much the paper I was writing for honors as well. I see, I see. Although I do think there was a beautiful moment when 
I think you and all of your aunties and elders arrived and it was just like a rush of people. <laughs> and I remember everyone at the gallery just being so overwhelmed. Just yeah. And it was just like the most, it was like a, like a storming of like <laughs> this colonial space and it was so beautiful. And I remember at some point the gallery organisers just like kind of letting go and just being like, we've got to just pass it on to the elders and the aunties now. Like this is their space. And I think it was really about community. I felt that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so much of what we've just talked about is about creating safe spaces. I wanted to ask, how do you ensure the creation of safe spaces and how do you promote inclusion and inclusivity at these art events? I try to think of every possible aspect, like what space are we going to take? Is it going to be um, you know, accessible? Who's going to be accessible to? Are we going to have, and that's also why I did it in Newtown Neighborhood Center because they had like a lift as well. So I, I paid for the lift access as well. So, um, um, and also I just wanted, oh, and I bought also, because obviously we come from different backgrounds and belief systems. There's some aspects where like some people may not have they're not normalized to see um, people that are the same as them. I try to always introduce the whole, you know, empathy, and that's what Kapwa is as well. Treat each other as family, regardless, um, and seeing yourself in the other. Yeah, um, and you know, just general respect and like positive dialogue, not. We're not shaming anyone or blaming people. It's a working progress all the time. You used the word kapwa and before earlier as well, was it bayaniya? And I just wanted to ask about like the use of language, right? And you don't translate these words into English, you use them. And I think are these terms that simply cannot be translated into English or is it like a deliberate um, reclamation of language I wanted to ask? It's both. Mm -hmm. Kapoa is actually my favourite word since I was a kid. I was just like, you feel it. That's also, you can't translate it. There's no English translation for Kapoa or Bayanihan. I guess, you know, having Kriyos or Larry, but it's, it's a way of life. And it's, um, you know, it's through everyday actions. And it's important for me to use our language specifically and not English because, as you know, the, the usual colonial narrative of being denied. And obviously, like even now, where Filipinos are, speak Taglish, that's what we call <laughs> Tagalog English. And then there's a hierarchy of language too. So Tagalog-speaking people are on the top. And then there's Visayan. And then there's so many, we have so many languages and dialects. And um, some of them have gone extinct as well. And we used to have um, our original script. And for us Tagalogs, it's Babayin. And um, there's other way more. And I want to learn. <laughs> And I just, obviously, that loss of not knowing all of these 
information about yourself, your history. Obviously, there's a lot of trauma there. Yeah, I try to explore it and stuff in a way that we can all heal, kind of thing. Or in the road of healing. That's lovely. And I guess, yeah, something that I really like about Usapan is that it is activist, you know, inflected in that you bring activists in and it is about activism, but it also advocates for radical love, softness and acceptance. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about, you know, what radical softness means? Because maybe some of our listeners don't really understand how that is like a decolonial and an activist thing and how radical softness informs your art practice. Um, for me, radical softness, and it, it's radical because they don't want us, you know, they're we're not, we're taught to hate ourselves, to hate, you know, our brown skin, our, our features, and and for us to love ourselves, and that's pretty much, you know, to be indigenized as well, and to unpack all of the self-hatred and the colonized mentality. I know a lot of my circles um, feel pressured in to create work, always be moving, always be doing something, and um, and not really, and sort of buying into the capitalist productivity that our world kind of promotes and and if you're not you're you know you're deemed unsuccessful or you're lazy and, and sort of like coming up against that it's radical mm-hmm. and being soft for yourself and um, others as well and sort of changing the way things are yeah because um I guess for artists and in the visual arts sector, it becomes so easy to just emulate capitalist behavior. Yeah. And you only hold these events maybe once or twice a year, yeah. once a year. And I think that is actually the most sustainable way to do it. I think it's so easy for artists to become subsumed and co-opted by institutions and just churn out these events. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel genuine after a while so what I realized with Usapan is I think the gallery when we worked with them really wanted to pay you back correctly but I think what was so beautiful is this willingness from you know your elders and aunties to just give without expecting anything back and I think that was radical in and that's part of our culture so my remember I actually learned about my mom my mom's like, so my, my auntie, who I was really, really close with, she had a tindahan, which is like a little shop in your house. And um, so they used to cook food, like Filipino dishes. So the barangay would come through eating, um, yeah, her, her, her dishes. And so that's also rooted in that. And my mom was saying, we only used to have a table. And they would just eat there at the table, the barangay. So I was just like, whoa. I was making ceramics for it because I wanted to hold the actual food in the ceramics. And um, in my barangay, is Temejero. So it's derived from Tinajero, which is pork jar. 
So it's actually rooted in our history that we made, we make um, bangas, which is um, ceramics and um, pots and stuff. So that was really, really amazing as well. To, like to find out after I've already selected all these things to do um, for my art. Amazing. <laughs> Um, I guess, yeah, it pushes back against the very transactional nature in art where, you know, because the art world is still so Eurocentric, it's like you put a value on an object-based art. But now art is trying to push against that and say here's all of this like intangible cultural heritage that you can't actually monetize or you can't actually quantify in any way. And I definitely felt that with your events. Uh, I guess we can move on now to talking a bit about this podcast for this month is talking about climate justice. And I guess one of the, you know, you have speakers that do talk about climate justice, especially because the UN has declared the Philippines a nation at risk and it's actually ranked as the third most vulnerable country in the world to climate change. And one of the speakers that you had at your past event was Eunice Andrada and her uh, poetry book called Flood Damages, where she actually does work with water and oceans directly related to climate justice and activism more broadly. I guess from just a personal point of view, do you feel like art is doing enough with activism and climate justice yeah, just because at NAVA we're always thinking, what can art do to confront these like huge global crises? You know, representation and telling stories, definitely it aids. It's just that I think for me, where is the material support? Because it's, it's economic as well. So what are, you, what are we doing? You know, obviously climate justice is indigenous sovereignty first. So what are we doing? Because they are taking the land and extracting, and that's how it's contributing to the crisis. Yeah, just the action and the material support, moral support. I think it needs to go beyond, you know, just us expressing, I guess, our lived experiences as well. Well, it's it, it does aid. We just need to go that extra step to ensure actual. Um, changes happen, actual support. And I guess even just raising awareness about communities like the Philippine X diaspora is so huge though because if it's it's the third you know country that's going to be most at risk, but I feel like for countries, you know people in Australia and in Western countries, it becomes a problem that doesn't feel as urgent um, because it is a relatively more privile privileged life that we enjoy here. So I do think your works are important in that first step of changing the cultural mindset and advocating for Indigenous sovereignty. Yeah, and like uh, giving platform for voices that you don't really hear. Absolutely. I guess I want to ask, do you have any sort of art organizations or just organizations generally across the country that you think are making commitments to 
environmental sustainability or are important activist circles that have informed your practice? I think you mentioned Anakbayan. Yeah, we just started on Akbayan, Sydney. Yeah, do you want to maybe talk a bit more about what that is? Because our listeners might not know. So Anakbayan is a youth mass organization of the Philippines. So we have different chapters all over the world. It started from the revolutionary movement in the 80s. And from that, it's been constant because it's been, what, over 500 years our Lumats, our indigenous peoples, have been resisting um, imperialism, colonization, and you know the same old getting displaced, getting killed. Because uh, yeah, killings are rampant, rampant right now. The but by uh, yeah, and Bayan, we try to be in solidarity course with the national democratic movement at home even though it's, it's hard obviously internationally but um, that's why the chapters we you know protest on for example the sauna which is the state state of the nation address that um, the Duterte was gonna do so we first protest that and the thing is and that's linked to you know the climate justice in the Philippines because of course, he's selling, selling our lands. He's getting international. China is doing a dam and stuff, and only employing Chinese workers. Of course, part of the deal, and yeah, just being in debt, most of all, and also yeah, displacing our indigenous peoples, still, yeah. and uh, activists are getting killed. Human right defenders. Our farmers, yeah, our the Lumads, and so we also held like a poetry night. So it's like a poetry night for our for the Negros, fourteen farmers that were killed earlier this year, to bring awareness to that and also to to let you know the Tete and and the Philippines know that we we see what's happening and we will stand with our people, with the people, people's movement. Uh, other organizations like FIRE? Fighting and resistance equally. Yes. So I guess a- AAA is pretty much in link with FIRE. Mm. And I think you're maybe the only artist that I know that sort of works with these organizations. So I think it's really important to bring outside voices into the art world because the art world has a tendency I think to become quite isolated and closed off to these very urgent political issues. A lot of your speakers are usually activists. To wrap up, I just wanted to ask what would be your ideal place in the future to hold Usafan Salamesa, the next one? I actually already have planned. So I'm gonna hire like a van or a bus if we can all afford it or depending on the amount of people that are gonna come through and then we're all gonna drive to you know a beach of whatever choice they want and then so we could be you know on land and actually know the land we're on and um, yeah have an actual you know just a barbecue 
see food. Yeah, with the elders and stuff. Yeah, we can do. We can be outside. I made like um ceramics. It's called sulka. So this it's a game, a childhood game that I used to play when I was still in the Philippines. So you can play it by yourself or um, with your your cousins, with others as well. I envisioned it like, oh, I'm gonna get seashells and then play it because you play with seashells and sort of like, obviously, like Osapan is about also reconnecting to what you know our way of life and culture and what we enjoy. Yeah, so it'd be really, really nice to be, you know, be able to touch, touch the sand, be with, you know, land, water, sky. The very opposite of the sterile white cube gallery space. It sounds beautiful. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it when it happens. Um, thank you so much again for joining us um, today and for being on this Nava podcast. Thank you for having me least that I could do. Um, so yeah, if everyone could look up <laughs> Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance and Fighting in Resistance Equally, um, that would be amazing. Thank you again, MA. Thank you. Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.